Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I am your host, Rob Walling, here for episode 522. Every week on this show, I cover topics related to building and growing startups using an ambitious yet a sustainable, a sane approach. I know that you're not willing to sacrifice your health or your relationships to grow your company, and yet we aspire to build ambitious startups. Thanks for joining me again this week. I have a many-time guest back on the show, Craig Hewitt who has come on for Q&A episodes, he's come on for a startup news roundtable, and he's told the story of his startup, Castos, which went through Tiny Seed Batch 1. You could hear that complete story in detail across the first season of Tiny Seed Tales, where we recorded eight episodes over the course of, I believe it was about eight or nine months. And so you hear this nice longitudinal look at his and his team's journey as they focused on and grew the company during 2019. And I wanted to have him back on today because someone wrote in and said, I want a where are they now episode of Startups for the Rest of Us that looks back, uh, kind of catches you up from where Craig left off. And coincidentally, almost to the day, it was one year since we had recorded the season finale of season one. So I hope you enjoy the conversation we have today. But before we dig into that, I want to let you know about the SAS Podcast Awards that MicroConf is holding right now. You can nominate your favorite podcast that have some affiliation relationship to SaaS, whether it's two SaaS founders talking about it, whether it's people doing interviews. There are four categories of podcasts that we're going to be looking at and highlighting. And if you head to sasspodcastawards.com, you can enter your nominees for each category. And then in a few weeks, we will have finalists and voting, and eventually we will present awards to the winners. So this is the first of its kind, and we're really excited to be able to gather people together and to hear kind of what the people's choice is for the top podcast and podcasts, because it'll be nice. We'll have finalists to look at across each of these categories. So head over to sasspodcastawards.com to nominate a podcast. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Craig Hewitt, the founder of Castos. Castos is podcast hosting and production plus private podcasting. And it's actually where this podcast you're listening to is hosted, as well as Tiny Sea Tales and the MicroConf podcast. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as we look back at the last year and hear where Craig and Castos are now. Craig Hewitt, thanks so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rob. You know, people will know you from Rogue Startups with Dave Rodenbaugh. That's your podcast and the founder of Castos and Podcast Motor, as well as the subject, the victim of uh, <laughs> Tiny Seed Tales Season 1. We recorded eight episodes uh, back in 2019 and got a lot of really good reviews, positive comments about that season and just about our conversations and, and how open you were about sharing your victories and, and struggles and the journey of being a founder and, and growing your company. And you've also been on Startups for the Rest of Us at least two or three times. You've answered questions. I interviewed you about, you know, starting Castos and all that stuff. So I feel like folks should have a decent idea of, of who you are and what you're up to. But for those that don't, Castos is the startup that you're focused on. And obviously you went through batch one of Tiny Seed. And we were talking offline that before season one of Tiny Seed Tales, before we, as we started recording it, you were at four full-time employees. Now you're at eight and you tripled in revenue. You were already into five figures of monthly revenue when the season started. And then over the course of that, 
I don't remember how long we recorded. It was about eight or nine months. But basically, you tripled in revenue and you haven't raised any additional funding. You know, you took funding from Tiny Seed and used that to, to truly kind of catapult forward and to hire, you hired a growth marketer named Denise, who I know has, has worked out really well. And recently you hired uh, Matt Medeiros, who folks may know from The Matt Report, and he's your director of podcaster success. So a ton has gone on. And the last time we spoke to record the final episode of season one of Tiny Seed Tales, it was almost one year ago today. It was October 30th of 2019. And as we're recording today, it's at November 4th. So with all of that, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back on. And I'm really excited to dive into what's been going on over the past year. I mean, first of all, I can't believe that we only recorded eight of those episodes. They were intense emotionally and, and maybe for folks listening to to kind of follow that story because we had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. So yeah, that, hearing that that was only eight episodes makes me feel old and maybe I have more gray hair from that. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. It feels that way to me too. Like we record, I mean, I know eight aired, but it feels like we recorded 16 and I don't know why that is. I think it's just tough times. And that it's was just an intense time we're in, right? Yeah, it was. And it was pre-COVID and everything. I mean, we, we didn't have the death of George Floyd hadn't happened yet. And COVID and these very stressful US presidential elections that are happening right now, that wasn't happening then. It really was a lot of uh, business. I think a lot of business stress on you and, and a pivotal point in the business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the way I want to I want to do today is I want to revisit a couple things that we talked about in the final episode of that season and then talk about some some secret audio you and I recorded about 10 or 15 minutes where you were talking about some top secret future plans you were going to do, but you didn't want to air that because it was it would give away a strategic move. And so we're going to pull some snippets out of that to air because now that it's been a year, you've already done those things. And just talk about recent developments, basically, with Castos and, and what's worked and what hasn't and kind of just do a where are they now. And I kind of want to kick it off with during the season of Tiny Sea Tales, you took a big gamble and we took a couple big gambles, actually. One, you you hired a growth marketer. You went all in on getting someone to hand off marketing to. And that was a challenge for you because you had been the only marketer and you had basically written all the copy and just been in charge of the strategy and all of that. And you made kind of a difficult transition during the season of starting to hand this over to her. And in the end, it was kind of a resolution of like, yes, that worked, that was smart, and, and it was working at that time. A year later, I'm curious to hear your reflections on how that's been going. Yeah, I mean, a year later, it was a fantastic decision. Well, we hired the right person for sure. I mean, Denise is wonderful at her job. She is very skilled, very detail-oriented, and is becoming a really strategic thinker from a marketing perspective, which I think is the thing that maybe has changed the most. And she would probably be the first one to tell you that she came in without any kind of SaaS marketing experience and now is very savvy in that respect, all the way kind of up and down the stack or the funnel, if you will. And what that has allowed me to do, and, and I think we talked about this being the goal, but it allows you to kind of move your energy and focus up in the, the kind of, I don't want to say echelon, but move your focus up in the in the business and kind of where you operate to where, you know, we have a weekly marketing meeting and we chat. Now it's Denise, Matt, and I, because Matt, even though his title is director of podcaster success, he comes from a sales marketing background. He has a lot of product and podcasting kind of domain expertise. So he's definitely involved in a lot of the marketing stuff that we do now. But I go to that meeting and we talk a lot of really high high level strategy stuff. And then the two of them go and execute 
almost all of it now. And it's great because I think what it does is just puts you on a different trajectory than if you do it all yourself. And it's it's really what we wanted is like Denise wakes up and thinks about how to grow castos every day. And, and I do too, but I think about a whole bunch of other stuff. And, and I think the more that we can let someone focus on doing a single thing, and we're only eight people, so nobody can do just one thing. But the more we can get to that, I think the more successful they are at their jobs. And that moves the needle for us as a business. That's great to hear. And I, of course, I know, you know, you, you update us with what's going on. So I, I knew that was the story, but it has been so fun for me to listen back to the season and hear you put out the job description and then you had a process for hiring. And then, you know, there's always uncertainty. There's always like, I, I think this person's right. Will it work? And it's nice when it works out that well. And when you just, you know, you hired, you know, the right person, because they can be that paradigm shift or that one plus one equals three or whatever cliche you want to use, but it just levels you up so much more, I think, than you probably even expect. Mm -hmm. And even more than like, I think the other path there could be, let's hire a content marketer just to write, let's hire an agency to run Facebook ads, let's hire a copywriter to do this landing page, but I'll be the glue to hold it all together or the person to coordinate it. And that just still requires a ton of your mental energy. Whereas you can say like, hey, Denise, you own this part of like this outcome of the business. And I am here to support you and the company's here to support you. But like, I need you to be the one that thinks about this all the time is just a very different kind of way to work, I think. Absolutely. And it's that paradigm of, I was struggling to find a a name for all three of these, but I I talked a lot about how in the early days I had a lot of task-based people and it was usually VAs who could do a specific task. And that's like hiring a copywriter, okay, go do this, you're really good at this, but now I'm managing it. So there are task-based people, project-based people, and owners. Originally I was saying founders, but I I think it's more of the, really I should say it as task mindset, project mindset, owner mindset. And I think that fits of like who can really own this whole area and maybe even delegate some projects, but be thinking about where a task-based person might think ahead to the next week and a project-based person thinks ahead to the next month is an owner thinking six to 12 months out or maybe even two years thinking about, and they don't have to technically own, it's not about equity in a business, but I think it's about owning the results owning the key results and really planning and presenting and certainly taking input. I mean, as an owner, you don't just do everything yourself, but finding those types of people is is hard, but it's what you need to really level up a business, especially at your size. I mean, with eight full-time employees, everyone has to be really good or else it it's a huge drag on the company. Yep. And somewhere that we're just getting into with like maybe that next step of ownership is the leaders of each kind of group of our organization are involved in hiring. And that is super cool to see. So we hired a a full stack developer recently and Jonathan, our lead developer, was the final say in who we hire, basically. And we're hiring a support person now and Matt on our team is going to be the final say in who we hire there as like that last interview. And that's super cool to see. And in a respect, it takes some of the burden off of me because I basically get a couple of people through the process and say, I'm happy with any of them, (laughs) you go pick. But also because they feel super empowered to be making that decision. And and they know they have to live with it afterwards. And, and that's a really good thing. Like, that's not a negative thing. And so I we're just getting into that. Like, we're just in the second kind of iteration of that step. But it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah. Something else you did during the season was you had credit card up front in order to get a 14-day free trial of Castos. And during that, the season, you removed it. 
And that just sends all your metrics all over the place. And I remember it was a little bit mixed in the end, I believe, where you said, yeah, it's better, but not by enough that it totally makes sense. You know, that was my memory of it. Is that still how you feel about it? Like you're, you're still not asking for credit cards. So obviously it's, it's a better way to go. Like you're getting more leads. Do you feel like that was a huge win? Was it kind of a wash? What are your thoughts looking back? Yeah, I think that it has been a good thing. It's tough to tell like over, I haven't gone back and look at like our month over month kind of metrics from like strictly a growth perspective to say whether like in that in that kind of shorter term, it was really a good thing. But from a user perspective, especially in something like podcasting where, I mean, Rob, you know, even though you've been doing this forever, like it's kind of hard to get started, right? And like, you might need more than two weeks to really get your show off the ground. And so what we found is that like, people come in, they give it a try, we give them a chance to extend their trial, even if they want to right at the end. And, and I think from a compatibility with like the user behavior perspective, not asking for credit card up front is definitely the way to go. And so yeah, we have no we have no plans of changing it at this point, just because I think for users, it's the right thing to do. Something you talked about in the, the final episode as we wrapped was, I said, what's next? And you said, we're looking at offering a freemium tier, basically a pricing tier that has a max usage-based, usage-based freemium, I think is what we, you know I was referring to it as. And from what I know, that, that never happened. When did you make that decision? And what, what was the thought there of, of not introducing that free tier? I think most of it came down to engineering resources. I hate to say it is that if it was just a flip of a switch in Stripe or something, I probably would have tried it, but it would have required a bit of work on the back end to to get that implemented and we just had other things we wanted to do, features to build and and you know UI to improve and things like that. And so I just didn't feel like it would move the needle in a significant way. And maybe looking back on it now that's because the no credit card trial thing didn't move the needle a ton. And so I thought that like a usage limited trial might just kind of give the same type of result. And, and coincidentally, we're, we may be looking at it again, but kind of for different reasons. So it's always hard to spend a lot of engineering time or a lot of your time making a change like removing credit card and have it be maybe that was worth it. And then to turn around, I definitely understand why you'd be hesitant to go freemium, knowing that you could get something else built in that time that you're pretty confident will move the needle. And freemium is just such an experiment. It's such an experiment and it's not a few weeks of work. Even if the engineering time is only two, three, four weeks, then you get to the point where, okay, now we've done it and now we need to watch it for months because freemium doesn't convert in 30 days or 60 days. Like you have months and months. So if you have other things going on that are working, it can be a tough sell to justify that. Last thing that you talked about in that episode was you were thinking about whether you should move a little more into like enterprise type offerings, that the average revenue per user of a podcast host is not great. I mean, it tends to be a commodity thing. And if you look at all the podcast hosts, they're, they're not priced that high. And so you were kind of noodling on whether or not you wanted to, to get into that space and start selling to enterprises and have some offerings that really made sense to be higher priced. And then after the episode, you and I recorded the, that little kind of secret audio that we can cut to right now and had a little bit of conversation about something you were thinking about to raise your average revenue per customer. So during the Tiny Seed Retreat at MicroConf Europe in Dubrovnik, 
we did a hot seat format. That's typically how we do it, right? We go around and each founder gets 30 minutes to think through a pretty challenging, difficult issue to get feedback from the batch as well as myself and Trace, Tracy and Einar. And something came out of your hot seat that could potentially change the trajectory of Castos. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's funny. My, my talk at MicroConf Europe was about like SaaS metrics. And all along, ever since like, you and I started talking about this, this business, like the metric around Castos that has been the worst, that, that's kind of tough to affect is like our average revenue per user. We're just not a $100 a month kind of app. And I don't know that we would ever be for the majority of our customers. And so we, yeah, we started thinking about what would people pay 100 or $200 for? And pretty quickly, the answer came to be like audio editing, either like as a service or as a software tool. And I think the value in a software tool is incremental. You know, we were talking uh, in a previous episode about like incremental steps versus like big major steps that would, you know, double or triple the size of the business. You know, building software to help people edit their podcast is cool, but not that cool. But doing it for them is is really cool. And I happen to have a lot of experience in this from another business in the space. And so the idea is, can we kind of take that other business that's called Podcast Motor and roll that service level into the Castos platform or make it super easily accessible to all the Castos customers? And it was a really interesting thought exercise. I think that everybody who's like running a business should say, like, how can you double your business tomorrow and just come up with crazy ways to do it. And at first this seemed really crazy. And, you know, about an hour and a half later, I was like, yeah, that's totally the way to go because it's a natural progression for a lot of our customers. They come in, they start a podcast, you know, they have some degree of success with it and want to keep going with it. And then they say, wow, like editing all this audio sucks. And it takes me two or three hours every episode. I would love to, you know, pay somebody a little bit of money to do that for me. And for folks who don't know, what podcast motor is or how it works? Could you give you know just a few sentences on how good of a fit it actually is for exactly what you want to do here? Yeah, so podcast motor is a, a productized service that I've been running for like four and a half years, almost five years. And so, yeah, all we do is podcast editing. We do show note writing. We have an in-house transcriptionist team. And the idea really is a show like this records their episodes, sticks the files in Dropbox. And then we do all the work from there. We do audio editing, we do show note writing, and then we publish to your website and media hosting platform. So, I mean, we could build a fair amount of automation around that part of it, about the publishing part of it, but certainly it takes all of the onus of the post-production side of the world off of podcasters' plate to let them focus on other more important stuff like marketing and growing their business. Right, and you have this unique experience that likely no other podcast host has. I mean, this is where you started with this productized consulting. And one of the things during the hot seat is, as we were talking about it, I said, you could just make it your highest tier, where it's literally, I think you have a $19 plan and a $39 plan, and then just have a $1,000 plan. Or I just threw out that number, kind of making numbers up. And that one includes full service production and editing and such. And we were kind of mulling that over and it was like, wow, that, this would be really interesting. And one thing I said was, yeah, but the problem then is if you get a bunch of new customers, you have to scale, right? Now you have to hire editors and you have to hire transcriptionists. And, and you look me in the eye and you said, yeah, but that's not that hard. And to me, it's like, no, that, that is hard. But to you, it's not because you've been doing it now for years and you have an amazing process to, to accomplish that. 
Yeah, and I think that the place this really makes sense is in the scalability of it, because we have been running this business for, for a while, and we know how to hire and vet people and bring them into our process and onboard customers and things like that. At the scale we would hopefully be talking about within Castos or, or kind of exposed to the whole Castos user base and like new trial customers and things like that, that would need to be a little better because, you know, we have like 50 customers on the podcast motor side of things now, and we could probably have 500 as part of this kind of combined business. But it's nothing like if one of our competitors decided today that they wanted to start a podcast motor type of business tomorrow, they would have, you know, the years of headaches that that I've had so far before they could get to where we are, I think. Yeah, it's a fascinating competitive advantage, you know. I'm surprised that none of us thought about this sooner. And I'm including myself in there. And and you and Einar and just anyone in the batch that we never thought about it enough to think about combining these. Why do you think that is? <laughs> so like a little backstory, I guess. Like, So the first version of our hosting platform was still under the Seriously Simple Podcasting brand. It was on the seriouslysimplepodcasting.com site and all this kind of stuff. And we went through a rebranding exercise to become Castos. And part of that rebranding consideration was, why don't we just call it Podcast Motor? And for a lot of reasons, and I think this is one of the decisions we have to make now, is like it gets difficult to discern between the editing service and the hosting platform if they're all under the same roof. And so, you know, we're going to move forward with this integration to kind of bring the two companies together, but they might still have separate websites and they might just be like an integration partner that, you know, ultimately all the money still goes into the same bank account and all that kind of stuff. But that's the reason we didn't put the the hosting platform under the podcastmotor.com brand before, because we had some concerns about what do people who know Podcast Motor as an editing service come in and see this hosting stuff? Like, what are they going to think? So I had definitely thought about combining the brands before and then made a decision to to treat them as separate entities as one because of like branding and and messaging and things like that the other is you know what is it like thomas smale says like one day you're you're going to sell your business or you're going to end your business and i wanted to like have some optionality in keeping them separate so that you know i could do different things with with each of the businesses but i didn't then think that the combined entity together of both kind of facets of the business was as strong together as it is. And that's, I think that's probably the thing that I got most out of our discussion with talking with you and Tracy and Einar and everyone else there is that like the valuation of this combined company is still really, really, really strong. Whereas like the valuation of just a service business maybe isn't as strong. And just like the, yeah, the value proposition of like, hey, you can come in and we can provide now like the two big, huge things that a lot of podcasters need. So like we're going to check three of, you know, the four or five big boxes in podcasting all like in one house. So you were basically talking about merging podcast motor into Castos, or at least offer, you were talking about offering editing through Castos because there's a higher price point, higher average revenue per customer, but you talked a lot about not merging the brands potentially and not merging the websites. You were, it seemed like you were uneasy about that. So talk to me about what's happened over the last year with Podcast Motor and Castos. Yeah, so in the spring of 2020, maybe in the fall of last year, we introduced Castos Productions, which was at the time just kind of like a white label version of the podcast motor service from within the Castos dashboard. So you upload your 
your raw recording files or you send us your Squadcast links like we would do for this episode. And then the Podcast Motor team on the back end does the editing and the show notes and the writing and the production work. And then that went over well and we had good reception from from clients and from our advisors and, and people kind of just kicking the tires say, yep, makes all the sense in the world to put that all in the same place. I'm happy to do that. And so July of this year, we kind of formally merged the companies and started the process of migrating those existing podcast motor customers over to kind of using the the Castos Productions workflow. So manage all of their podcast stuff in the Castos app, both like the production work and the hosting and distribution and analytics all in one place. And then we took the the really big leap, which was to merge the brands. So like the naming and the websites just about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. And so if you go to podcastmotor.com today, you'll go to the Castos Productions page on castos.com. And overall, it's been really successful. I think, you know, Rob, you and I talked offline about the decision to do this. And I think for a lot of reasons, managing just one brand generally is a lot easier. From an SEO perspective, it definitely is better to have all of your kind of link juice pointing to one place. I think there will be people that say, yeah, but if you were two brands, you could have multiple kind of listings on the first page of Google for a term. And that's that's the case. But I think generally, we think we can rank for more terms as a single site. And so that's what we've done. And I think generally, the only the only thing that we knew we would have to do, and I think we've done a good job is is kind of manage that legacy podcast motor name for people that know us or were customers are of ours before and want to come back to do another season or something is like on that page, on that Castos Productions page, we reference Podcast Motor. We have a banner at the top of the page, kind of announces that Podcast Motor is now Castos Productions and links to an internal kind of blog post that we have about it. And, and so I think that's the thing that I was the most scared of is like, what is like a really nice brand? I mean, the Podcast Motor brand and the job we do there was really great. And so like how to transfer as much of that over to Castos Productions as possible was the thing that, I mean, you and I talked a lot about was the thing that gave me pause before and that we're keeping a very close eye on uh, now that, that that move has taken place. This is one of those decisions that I think is the right decision the way you did it. And and in fact, I believe that you can remind me if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I gently nudged you in that direction of like I, my gut and based on things I've seen and where you are is that you should fully merge and there's more power in it. There's more SEO power, there's more brand power and all that. But it wasn't a, I, I'm not like, hey, it's a hundred percent. You absolutely have to do this. It's the only way to do it. I do think there's nuance, as you said, but I feel like, yes, it's the right decision and and has been the right decision from my outsider's perspective. You're six weeks post doing it. So obviously you only have so much perspective at this point, but do you feel so far that, that it was a right choice? And do you have any regrets about merging those two brands? It's definitely been the right choice. Yeah, I, I don't have any regrets. And, and I think the reason is if you look at like the potential kind of plus and minus of it, like the, the plus is that everything is in one place. It's one brand. Messaging should all be really clear around this. The downside is is that last part maybe is that with two separate brands, you can be more clear and opinionated about what that messaging is. And when they're all in one place, it can get a little more muddled and a little more difficult to be really explicit about about what a brand is because now Castos is you know podcast hosting and production whereas before it was just one thing but i think the positive of 
having it all in one place, having this professional services in front of all of our customers is is just way above that potential kind of difficulty and kind of messaging. Right, and it's such a differentiator because no one else is doing this. Where else can you go to get hosting, to get editing and production and well, you know, all the transcripts and the YouTube stuff and just all the, all the things you do? It, it is a unique space in the market. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where that takes you moving forward. How hard did it wind up being? I mean, it's funny, we talked about it a year ago and you said you got done with it six weeks ago. Surely you weren't working on it for 10 and a half months. It must have been starts and stops. Yeah, it was a lot of starts and stops. It was, I mean, I probably kind of just forgot about it or it wasn't a huge priority for a while. And then I I think we really saw some good traction with Castos Productions when it was just like a white label version of Podcast Motor. And then we really thought like, okay, time to get more serious about it because at that point we really kind of had three brands and and that was too much. And so decided to, to kind of bring it all together. And it's a fair gamble because I know we talked about like reversible decisions. I don't think that's a reversible decision. Like it, we're, down, we're down this path. That's a 301 redirect. Like that's tough to take back. But we, we kind of tested the waters with it too. So I, I felt like we had some data well before we did all this stuff in July. Right. That's the thing. And I mean, I have a question here of like, has it moved the needle yet? And I'm not totally sure what I mean by that, but I, I guess I'm thinking, you know, you, you bring over this brand and this new service and you would hope that new customers or existing customers would adopt it in a way that maybe wouldn't they wouldn't have if you kept the two apps separate. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely moved the needle. First, like all of our revenue goes into one place. That's great. That's just easier to keep track of and everything. But I think the the thing that it does is it it simplifies our messaging a lot, right? Because instead of you know me being on sales calls for Castos Productions and for Podcast Motor, I'm on kind of one set of sales calls. We have one set of pricing. We have one set of offerings. And so I think in that respect, it's it's definitely improved our positioning, but it's still an ongoing thing. You know, it's still something that we are continuing to refine the experience, like the the actual kind of user experience and the positioning and the pricing and all of this, which is cool. You know, it's another lever we can turn and that's, that's kind of fun to have. Yeah. And what I love about it is, is this concept of a dual funnel that I keep bringing up of having this wide, lower cost funnel where you have a lot of people coming in. Maybe it's freemium, maybe it's credit card or whatever, but when you're getting hundreds of trial signups or even into the low four figures of trial signups in a month, that's a very wide, low-touch, low-cost funnel, usually with low average revenue per customer. And you can build a good business on that. You want to raise the average revenue over time. That's a low-touch funnel, right? Then there's high-touch funnels where you're selling for 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 a month and more enterprise stuff, long sales cycles, and you can build great business out of there. But the dual funnel, when you have a SaaS that has both of those, that's amazing. And that those are the apps that I'm seeing grow the fastest right now. And I think back to even in the drip days of our starting price of 49 and eventually we had a $1 plan and then a free plan. And then we had people coming in and saying, hey, I'm going to pay you $1,000 a month or 15 or you know, 100 or 2000 a month. That's a nice dual funnel is you do have this amazing brand and you have reach and you have word of mouth because you can have thousands or tens of thousands of paying customer on the low end. And then even if you only have 50 or 100 or 200 larger customers, it can become the point where, you know, the vast majority of revenue actually comes from those because they pay you such an overwhelming 
amount of money. A lot more apps out there are like this than people realize. A lot of the apps we use that are inexpensive actually make a ton of money. Like Slack's a good, another good example, right? Or Zoom, where they have this free plan. They have a wide funnel. Everybody knows who they are. And if you're a small company, you pay Slack, what is it, six or eight bucks a month per employee. And so if I have, my team is a team of five. I'm paying them 30 bucks. So yeah, that's not a great average revenue per customer for a company that you know, wants a multi-billion dollar valuation. But IBM or Microsoft or whoever, I guess Microsoft has their own product, but you know, insert Fortune 500 company here that doesn't have a competing product, they are likely paying Slack $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 a month. And that is the dual funnel that that allows them to grow incredibly fast. And that's what you've introduced here. You essentially now have still this great product with this great low-end price point. I mean, I mean, great for consumers, not for your average revenue per customer, but great for your customers. And you do have a mini brand with you know thousands of people that use it, but now you also have this high-end enterprise offering. And that brings that average revenue per customer up pretty substantially. Yeah, we're now getting into a third kind of leg of that stool, which is which is really cool. Like it has its own kind of messaging challenges, but yeah, we we are having like conventional podcasting, podcast editing as a service, and then private podcasting that is in some ways like a whole another animal, like a whole another product and a whole another type of customer, but is very very interesting both from a revenue perspective and from a like a business and product and where we are in the market perspective but yeah it's cool and challenging at the same time i'm really interested to dig into this because when you talked about building private podcasting the first thing i asked was like is anybody else doing this and it what seems like that? <laughs> yeah like and and why would you do it and i'm not sure i understand it but you guys are essentially on the leading edge of this right i mean you're kind of stepping out like this is a novel a new entry into the market and it's aimed at, I mean, that's the thing I was thinking, you know, I'm sure it's aimed at, I can imagine any Fortune 5000 company might want a private podcast for their sales staff or for their employees in this day and age of working remote. But I could also see startups or the rest of us having a private podcast that people pay a Patreon, you know, or a subscription for. I could see MicroConf having a private podcast for people maybe who go to this event or for the Connect Slack channel at only them. Or how about a tiny seed private podcast only for investors or only for mentors? I mean, is all this, am I making this up or is that where it's headed? Yeah, no, and it's it's literally anything you can imagine. I mean, we have mental health professionals having private podcasts for each of their patients. We have Fortune 100 companies that we're working with having internal private podcasts for their sales team or for their HR groups. But we also have enormous like health and fitness brands having private podcasts as an extension of their membership site or their course. And so that's tens of thousands of people coming in and they have a course or they have a membership site and they have content there and they want to add podcasting as another way to connect with their their tribe, right, or their members. And so, yeah, I mean, we are, I think, really uniquely positioned, one, from our WordPress integration, that a lot of people do this kind of membership beast type stuff in WordPress. So we're a natural fit there. We also have some native integrations with like membership platforms like Memberspace to where new member starts paying you for access to your membership site, that person automatically gets added to a private podcast in Castos. All like totally automatic that you as like the membership site administrator don't have to do anything and you're able to offer this to to your members, which is a huge value. And and I think of I think it's just such a natural fit. Now now that we're here, I think of course, like why didn't we do this a few years ago? But Rob, it might be kind of like what you saw with Drip, where like you weren't ready the market maybe wasn't ready 
but now like knock on wood, I feel like we're at the right place at the right time with this because it's it's a huge opportunity and and people come to us and they are absolutely thrilled <laughs> that we do this the way we do and that that makes you feel really good. Yeah, it's easy to think as a product person, next feature I I launch is going to be the one that changes it. You know, most time it's not. Most time you try to market it and it's like ho hum, but this one seems to have really resonated in a way that I'm not sure I anticipated when you were talking about it. I had hoped that it would bring in the Fortune 1000 or 5000. I mean, that was kind of the thing of like, hey, you know, you can charge a lot more for this because it is a premium feature. But the conversations you're having with people and the interest that has come in, it sounds like has been really strong. Did you expect that? Or were, were you a little bit questioning, you know, or, or tentative about it? I know, I know you were all in on building the feature, but did you expect it to have this level of interest? I would be lying if I said, oh, of course I knew that this was going to happen. No, I mean, of course I was very hopeful, but I think you you don't know when you're you're kind of expanding the edge of what people expect from from an ecosystem and a platform and a like a behavior that they have with something like podcasting or email marketing, right? It is when you say like, yeah, you can charge money for a podcast directly or you can only offer this podcast to certain people. A lot of even today, folks are saying like, what? Like that's that's not a thing. And you explain it to them. They go, oh yeah, of course, that totally makes sense. I can imagine doing this for X. And so I think like when we started to have some of those initial discussions, then we had more confidence in it. And we did a fair bit of like collecting of email addresses and chatting with folks. And we had some people on the platform from day one that were kind of duct taping this together with with Zapier and a membership platform and stuff like that, but didn't have that last piece of like individualized private RSS feeds from the, the hosting provider. And that's what we are providing. Right. So you can revoke <laughs> revoke access in essence when it happens. Yeah. Congrats on getting that live and certainly stoked to hear about the interest. Uh, you know, obviously as a an investor through Tiny Seed, it's it's nice to see when things things go right and I get to live vicariously through your your victories, which is <laughs> which is fun. Kind of be along for the ride. I do want to congratulate you as we move to wrapping up. I want to congratulate you on hiring Matt Medeiros as your director of podcaster success. If folks have not listened to the audience podcast, and if you are interested in starting your own podcast or growing your audience or learning how to monetize or all other types of stuff around podcasting, search for audience in your podcatcher. I listen to to every episode that comes out and it's it's a really high quality show. And I can tell that Matt has pulled a burden off of you because I know that you were putting that out every week and I know it was a ton of work for you. Yeah, it's funny. We just before recording this, Matt and I recorded an episode and talked a lot about this, that like him coming on board, he is a better podcaster than I am and has been doing it for longer. And it's been awesome to bring in like a total A player to own that part of of the business. And it's it as a, an entity, the podcast is much better off, like primarily in his hands. So yeah, it's been cool. Yeah, that's a double win, right? When they can do it perhaps a little bit better than you can and that you get the time back. You don't have the the mental burden of like, what am I doing? Because producing content like this is, it's fun, but it's it does take that good glucose. It takes that creative energy that you can't put into writing copy or doing other kind of harder, harder things. As we wrap up, I want to hear what you're excited about right now. Like what's what's new with Castos, you know, whatever, this week, this month, what's kind of the big thing that's, I think, got you excited? Yeah, yeah, we have like two real initiatives that we're driving hard on. One is 
doing everything we can to be the obvious choice for people who want to kind of create a podcast and use WordPress as their website. And specifically what that means is we're launching an integration with Elementor. By the time this goes live, this will be out. So you can kind of manage all of your podcast design, content, player, everything from the Elementor editor. So Elementor is the most popular kind of page builder for WordPress. And so we'll fit directly into the Elementor editor and all of your podcast stuff happens right from Elementor. So that is super cool and, and hopefully opens up a chance to do some co-marketing and kind of brand exposure between our organizations. And we're doing more things on that kind of vein of the business is just doing cool things and offering good free tools for people in WordPress to make that experience even better. And then the other one is is private podcasting. And like it, it takes a lot of different forms, you know, talked about courses and membership sites, but also like for internal company podcasts and, and working with real enterprises and what that looks like. And then I think the, the question mark still isn't, we might've talked about this last year is Castos directly being able to be the payment processor kind of via Stripe, a way for you to charge money for your podcast directly. So that's still a bit of a question mark. And I think it's a question mark from a strategic perspective, because if I think about podcasting as kind of a, a hobbyist and an aspirational thing, I can imagine a lot of people coming into a tool like this, like Substack, right? I imagine Substack has an enormous number of people that don't make any money from their newsletter. And if you think that like what we're talking about building with like premium podcasting is is the same kind of thing, you're going to have a bunch of people coming in, making content, charging money for it and not making any money. And that's just how it goes, right? It's tough to build a, a community and a following online. It's even harder to get those people to pay you money. You know this, having the Micropreneur Academy, Founder Cafe. And so we've taken the approach so far of let's help people that already have a significant following and integrating with their course platform or their membership site or their community and offering podcasting as something that they add on in an additional way to that. So from a, like a project strategy perspective, I don't know if kind of going directly to people that want to charge money is the way to go. I'm sure we'll do it, but, but I think we've made the right decision so far to say like, let's use the audience people already have and the membership tools that they're already using to manage those members and payments and things like that. And us be the podcasting tool that adds onto those as opposed to like having to, from a product perspective, like create the whole stack and maybe kind of have people come in that think they can build a community and charge people money for it because I think it's just really, really hard. And so we'll see, yeah. Yeah, the aspirational people will come, but I think you can get around that with pricing, right? If it's, well, I'm just gonna throw out pricing. If it's $99 a month plus whatever for downloads or something, then you're not gonna get as many aspirational because they're gonna say that's too expensive. But if I had, you know, for MicroConf as an example, or startups for the rest of us, $99 a month is, is a no brainer for us. And certainly for whoever, all the Target and General Mills and Best Buy, these are just Fortune 500 companies that are here in Minneapolis that I always think of. But for them, that's it should be even higher, right? But I guess, oh, I guess Best Buy, Target and General Mills are not gonna charge their people, right? That would only be for 
someone more like a startup service or a microconf if we did decide to make that a paid thing. But again, if you just keep that minimum price at a certain point, at least until, you know, because you're not a commodity right now, right? You're such a unique offering that if people want it, they come to they need to come to Castos. Once you get the, the feature is going to get cloned, you'll get copycats, they probably won't build it as good as you guys have, but eventually, you know, it will get to that point. And then you have to make that decision of like, well, do we want that lower end of the market, the aspirational people, but I guess you can kind of make that decision when you get there. Is it something you feel like you could solve with pricing by just having that low, or I mean, sorry, that higher minimum per month? I think so. And I, but but I think that all that that does is doesn't attract the aspirational folks that don't already have that audience or don't think they could get that audience. And, and I think the thing that I'm most concerned about is like this resource allocation of like it's a month's worth of work for a developer at least to to build all this stuff and. Like, could we go do something better with that? Yeah, I think it, I'd want to see that you have ample leads coming in on that higher end that do want to charge for it, right? It's like if you've only had a handful come in, then I don't know. And, and that hasn't been a deal. If you haven't lost a deal because you don't have it built in and it's a month's of work, that's tough. Given how fast you guys are moving and how much you're building, it's a tough decision to make. Yeah, it's definitely a question mark. Yeah, it would be super interesting, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Thanks again for taking an hour and hanging out with me here again on Startups for the Rest of Us. On Twitter, you are the Craig Hewitt and obviously castos.com if folks want to see what you're up to. Thanks so much for joining me again this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Craig. Definitely have him back again in the future. He always has interesting insights and he's moving so fast and doing so many interesting things that it's pretty easy to to bring out, you know, essentially good conversation and, and good content for you here on the show. 